Hey everyone, this week I have Mariah Green on the podcast. Similar to me, Mariah went to Bank Street College of Education. Mariah and I also have some differences. For example, she is the plant doctor, and I just have plants. And she just wrote her first children's book titled Good Things. As always, you can go to the show notes below and find links to Mariah's social media accounts, a link to her book, and even more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello. Hi, Andy. Hi, Mariah. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited to chat with you. I got to give a big shout out to Bank Street's alumni groups on Facebook and LinkedIn because I don't know that I would have thought of this without them. <laughs> oh, is that how you found me? I was going to ask because I got your message and I so I rarely check LinkedIn, but my friend was like, you need to update that you're an author. And I was like, I guess because I don't use it, but I'm so happy I did. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so they, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I think they posted on Facebook first and then I clicked it and I read it and I was like, oh, yes, have to write it down. And then I think the same day I was on LinkedIn and they posted it there and I was like, okay, I, I got it. Thank you, Bing <laughs> Street. Happening. I'm, I'm oh, working on it. <laughs> they're the best. They show so much love and they also just remind me that, like, yes, Instagram and like all these other platforms are great, but like, you have to maintain a resume. You have to update your LinkedIn. So I'm like, okay, I'll do all those things. Yeah. It's funny because before having the podcast, I never used LinkedIn at all because like, I don't know, it just didn't seem like the spot for educators. Like it seemed like the big yeah. business people. And since Sprouting Minds, I've been on it 24 seven. I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. This is really okay. good. <laughs> I need to actually give it a chance because I had written it off to like, I'm so anti-corporate anything, but like it actually is quite useful in the way that it's organized and how you can connect with people. But I guess you get to create the world you want to see on there. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's not like the other social media apps where it's like flu flu stuff and like just trying to toot your own horn or anything like it's actual good information out there. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I agree. No, I'm excited that we connected and thanks for being flexible on Monday. Not a problem. Totally okay. I'm just excited to chat with you. I, I feel like it's been, it's a really cool process that I feel like you went through because you're New York based, which I am too. And yes. I went to Bing Street also. Um, yeah. Though I had the wonderful major of infant and family uh, intervention, but infant and family development, early intervention, and general slash special education. So I think you win because you have a shorter master's <laughs> degree. I thought mine was long. I did general education with a focus in literacy, but you maxed it out there. I love that. Because it's yeah. like, if you're going to go to Bank Street and pay that much money and also make that much of a commitment in your adult life, you better just max that thing all the way out. Exactly. And I and at the time I was like, I don't know if I want to do early intervention. I don't know if I want to teach. I want to do something with children, but I didn't know exactly what. So like, that master's yeah. degree kind of gave me that option to do totally different things. And here I am not doing any of them, but I have a podcast. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same. I'm like, okay, the literacy was useful-ish. I'm not using it the way that I thought I would, but it's great. Like, because the education is well-rounded enough where you can apply it to anything you decide to go into. It's like a supplement. Exactly. And I don't think I really took it for granted in the beginning. Like the teaching job that I got right out of um, Bank Street was the one that I had four years. And I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for them because if I didn't have that title Bank Street, they wouldn't have hired me so quickly. 
Um, But now it's been, I don't even know how many years, and I've used it in different ways that I didn't think I would and didn't appreciate until Mm -hmm. as of late. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Even like going out and selling this book and one of my posters says like former Bank Street graduate and educator. It's like people come up to me all the time just to talk about that and I would have never guessed. Yeah, the the name in itself holds so much for us and I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for them for that. And I want to get to what you're doing right now, but before I do, we'll we'll circle back to this because you're also (laughs) the plant doctor. (laughs) Which I don't know how I missed all that too, growing up in New York and having plants, but that's incredible. Like, how did that start? It's so crazy. The fact that you went to Bank Street, you totally get it. But basically, I moved here to go to Bank Street. And so I, like most students and teachers also, like you kind of want to create something outside of the classroom that's yours so that you can feel like you have a life. And I guess for me, that was like caring for plants. And so I found that I like started buying a ton of houseplants and brought them into my home and I was helping my friends care for theirs. It just sort of became like this little like side world that I had. And then a really good friend of mine was like, no, what you're doing is really cool. And no one's out here doing this. Like, I feel like you could really form a business, even if it's just a little side hustle. And I just, I leaned into it more and more, but all the while I was still going to Bank Street. and so. As the planting grew, I think I just, my purpose for being in New York was less, oh, I'm here to go to Bank Street. And it became, oh, Bank Street is amazing. And also I have this thing that I'm really passionate about. So both were growing together. And I don't think I could have done one without the other because so much of everything that we learned in Bank Street, I applied to starting my business. It was like, okay, I'm helping people with their house plants. So what is the knowledge that they have? Where can I meet them in the middle? And then how can we get them to a point of feeling confident as plant parents, like developmental interaction approach, like all the things I just applied to plants. And so it just became, it became Greenpeace. It's so funny. Cause like, I, I feel like I use being straight more in my own life with sprouting minds more than I did necessarily with teaching. Cause as you're saying, it's like, I wonder statements, okay, what what do people need? How do I interact with them? Like all these things. And I don't know that I would have also had the confidence in myself to do certain things on my own if it wasn't mm-hmm. for Bank Street. And I don't know that I also noticed that while attending Bank Street because I think I was just so in it and like taking in every piece of knowledge that they were giving us, which was a lot. Yeah, totally. And you, I think when you're at Bank Street, it's hard to sort of think about how this information is going to be useful outside the classroom. But it's not until you're like thrusted into the world, specifically in New York City, where you're like, oh, wait, I had a whole perspective shift while I was attending this college. And it is, it's so impossible to view the world any other way, other than like, okay, why is this situation happening? Or why does this person think this way? And how can I be in addition to what's currently happening to maximize its growth? It's like, I didn't even know that that was a rare way to look at things, but it's such a bank street mentality. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool and unique. And so you're, you're the plant doctor, you're based in New York, you've got that going, which is thriving. And I mean, it's amazing. I wish I had uh, known a few weeks ago because I moved to Philly and I brought one plant with me, which was my baby boy. And I got him when he was like a nothing. He's a pothos. He was so tiny and he grew 
so long and beautiful. And my boyfriend hated it because he hates like viney plants. And I'm like, you got to get over okay. it. Like this guy's coming with me. <laughs> He's well, part of the family. Right, exactly. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, I accidentally left him in the car one day and it was hot. And oh. I tried to revive him and my baby boy is now not with us. My boyfriend is oh. very happy. But once I'm more settled, I'm getting my plants back. And then I will yeah. be contacting you because <laughs> like happily, that, that, that rubber that's a rubber tree in the back. Yeah, it's a variegated rubber tree. This is my girl here. I've had her since I moved into this apartment and she is just like, she's leaning. It's so funny. My windows are all on one side. You can probably tell the lights coming from this side. So she yeah. just grows that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is my girl who grows with me along the way. I love it. I love that. I and would so- love to help you pick another plant as well. When you're ready, I'm ready. Great. Cause I do have a rubber tree, Um, but mine has been this size for the past year and a half. And he grows one oh. leaf and it falls and then he gets taller, grows the same leaf, it falls. We'll have to talk about all that. Time to repot, yeah, we need a session, Andy. I'm down. <laughs> well, I I love the plants and that kind of brings us to what you're doing now because we, we talked yeah. about the plants, we talked about Bing Street, and I believe, and you definitely correct me if I'm wrong. While attending Bing Street, we had to do an IMP, which is our integrative master's project. And I also did a book and you were working on a book. Um, Uh And so that book may or may not have become your debut book right now. Is that correct? (laughs) Yes, that is correct. I also have not heard the phrase or the term IMP since I left Bing Street. I'm like, oh my God, it was my IMP. It was that thing that I was like, oh, I need to work on that. And it was, I don't want to say this dreaded thing, but it was during the pandemic that I had to work on it. So I just was like, oh my God, I can't wrap my head around the fact that I need to focus on this project to graduate when the world is ending. But yeah, yeah you took me back in time. with Wow. The I didn't realize, I mean, now that if I did the math in my head, it was around three years ago, which is like the height yeah. of COVID. So that makes sense. And so it's your first book and yeah. it's called... Good things. Yes, it's called Good Things. I love it. Tell me, tell me how this came to be as for people who don't know at Bank Street or any master's program, I believe in education, especially you have to work on an imp, which is the end of the year, um, not end of the year, end of your term project. It's the thing Mm -hmm. we all kind of dread because it is just (laughs) such an important and big thing. Yeah. And so you chose to write a book, which to people that don't know, it's not like you could just write like, I don't know, a three page book and like call it a day. You have to write mm. details. You have to make sure that, you know, the education that you just paid for is in there. So walk yeah. me through knowing that you have to write an imp to where you are now. So I went into that imp process at Bank Street under the notion, I think that I originally chose a curriculum because I just was like, I think I can knock that out of the park very easily. I just want to get this thing done. And so my advisor at the time, Molly Welsh Kruger, I don't know if you know Molly. Took her class, um, loved her. <laughs> oh, she's just so lovely. So I um, I went in for a meeting with her to talk about the curriculum building. And she turns around and gives me this like Molly motherly look and is like, I know that you can write a curriculum and I know that it would be great. However, I think it'd be a very much missed opportunity if you didn't take a stab at writing a picture book. And I think She kept calling me a writer and it was so frustrating because I'm like, Molly, stop pushing this writing thing on me. That is your journey. I'm not a writer. 
I'm just here to get my degree in bounds. But I was like, okay, let me just take a stab at it. And Molly just has this way of seeing you for this amazing person that you are, even if you don't necessarily see it yet. And so I started working on this picture book. And then I started to have fun with it. And I think I have to shout Molly out for real because she, I think, is one of the only professors that took my plant design work as something that wasn't separate from Bank Street. It wasn't a distraction. It wasn't a departure from. And yes, I was like missing classes and my assignments were coming in late, but I equally was like getting features in the New York Times. And like, I was just trying to balance so much. And Molly seemed to be the only one who embraced it, but also still held me to the same standard of what the expectation is for a Bank Street student. And so I think it was that that made me realize, oh no, this book can be about houseplants and everything I've learned along the way. And I think once Molly gave me that permission, I really put my heart and soul into the story. And so that's when I started working on good things. And I don't even know at what point the title came up or like all the small little pieces, but I began working on it and it it felt like a story that needed to be told because it was one that was in me and it wasn't such a departure, like I said, from what was happening in my life already. Yeah. I think that um, what, what I did also love about Bank Street is as you're saying, not not every professor understands that we have a life outside of Bank Street. And that that doesn't mean that we're not taking our education there seriously. We are. And I had one mm-hmm. professor there, Gabriel, who, who left before I finished, who did the same kind of thing that you're saying, just understood, okay, yeah, you're doing things outside. You're still equally mm-hmm. committed. You have to hand in an assignment late. If that's how you're going to get your best work in, that's okay. Like I'm here to support you in your education and your life because those go together. And I remember Molly was very, very nice. I, I really enjoyed her her class. I only had one because I wasn't in a lit degree. Yeah. But um yeah. and, and so you start writing this book and it it's thoughtful. It's about grief, it's about loss, and it's about plants. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis? I know um, you've got some characters, Malcolm, his dad, you've got plants. Run me through that a little bit. Can I grab a copy of it? I meant to bring one. I'm like, let me, I feel like I should have it in my hands. There are only like 50 sitting next to me at the moment. So it's not a lot at all. Uh, Yeah, no, my house is just plants. And I think my boyfriend thought he was signing up for an excess amount of plants, but now it's plants and books and God bless him because there's just dirt and plants and books everywhere. Um, That sounds pretty nice to me. (laughs) Right? It's not bad. I'm like, it could be so much worse. I'm clean apart from the soil being everywhere. So the soil is clean. It's not Uh, like it's dirt from elsewhere. Like, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be good for you in some way. Um, I forgot what question. Oh, the synopsis. You wanted yes. the synopsis of the book. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Good Things tells the story of a young boy named Malcolm who enjoys and grows houseplants with his father. It's their thing to do. It's their bonding time. Um, and when Malcolm's father eventually passes away, he has to learn how to keep these houseplants alive. And also during that time goes through the mourning process for the first time, which isn't often talked about in children's literature, especially in picture books. Um, But overall, the story is one of loss and mourning, but equally it's one about life because it shows that process after 
a traumatic event happens and what it can look like to go through that process, either for the first time as a kid um, or someone who was just trying to make sense of what life looks like after that event occurs. Wow. I, I, I love it. I love that. It's, it's such a simple idea, but so necessary. Like we mm-hmm. all have to navigate the loss, right? That's something that we all have to deal with, you know, in our life, at least hopefully not often, but maybe once. And for young kids, it's very hard to understand that. Like someone that you either see every day or sometimes is suddenly not there. Like, how do you move on from that? Totally. And I think it's hard for kids because it's hard for parents. Anything that's hard for parents or teachers or educators to talk about, you can almost assume every time that it's going to be hard for kids to make sense of because no one's no one's talking about it. And there's one thing we know about kids. They like to ask questions and they're curious. And so I noticed during my time teaching, especially at Bank Street, that our job as educators is to create the space for these conversations and for kids to know that exploring is great and asking questions is how you make sense of the world. But I realized that there were certain topics where it's a bit taboo and it doesn't reach that far yet. And we're not as liberally focused on it as we think we are. And one of those is loss and death. And I wanted to figure out, especially in the areas or communities where I was teaching high need or underserved youth, it was especially the case where it was sort of their day-to-day experience, any sort of trauma or just like growing up and trying to handle these responsibilities way quicker than the average kid. So I just thought, I, I feel like we're missing a piece in this conversation and it has to do with loss and death. And so the other part of this, which felt completely separate at the time, was that the one community that I was a part of that was so cool with talking about loss and death were plant parents. Like you just casually told me that you left your plant in the car and it died. It's like, we can talk about, we've all killed a plant. It's so normal. right? And I, I wish I remember whether or not it was an exact moment or a month, but it occurred to me, I'm looking at these two different communities and they both speak about death so differently. And so maybe plants are the thing in the middle where I can tell this story so that it's accessible to both parties. Yeah, I I love that. And it's also like, this book, though, is about losing a parent. It also mm. can be related to losing a different family member. It could be related to losing a, a pet. Just anything where you can take that storyline and, you know, tweak it to what your child needs in their life to help them navigate this big situation. And also, it's yeah. kind of nice that it's something that the kid is now focused on in the story. Like, Malcolm now is focused on, okay. I've lost my dad. I, I'm working on these plants. It's not like it's a distraction. It's something that's helping him cope with his feelings and understand life goes on. And now we're giving birth to this new idea and new life, which is just so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I wanted to illustrate and tell the story of that process we go through when we're mourning. Of course, it looks different for everyone, but I noticed with plant parents, whenever I was being called to design someone's home or help with their plants, I noticed that they were going through a big life transition. They either got a new apartment, it was a divorce or a marriage or a new baby or something. And there was this sort of like, I think when we're going through transition or just heavy things, we need to have somewhat of a distraction or a hobby, something that makes us feel grounded. And so sometimes, whether it be 
well-intentioned, I found that people were picking up the watering can way too often, thinking that they were doing it with the best intentions of keeping the plant alive. However, like with Malcolm in particular, I wanted to show that while it is beautiful and a natural thing to want to find things to distract ourselves from feeling the emotions that are right in front of us, there is a such thing of, as overwatering something to the point where you're not actually grounded and being present of mind enough to realize, oh, wait, I am sad or I haven't nourished myself today. I'm putting so much effort into this one thing just so I can quote, feel better. And I think this story was also in some ways like a story for me at the time. Like I find that I metaphorically pick up the watering can way too often. And um, I just feel like you there is a such thing as overwatering something and sometimes you just need to be still and go through the emotions yeah and i think that it's it's really important to also like as you're saying understand that you can do things to help navigate these situations but you should acknowledge your feelings you should understand them you should give them the space that they need to heal while also moving forward and taking care of things but as you're saying like don't don't distract yourself so much that you're neglecting how you're feeling because that's not going to help you through the actual situation that you're handling and trying to deal with. Totally. Exactly. And again, the morning process, we could have every tool under our belt to prepare us for the morning process, but it will look different for everyone every time, no matter how much you prepare for it. And so if watering your plants every day, all day is what makes you feel good during that process, then you water those damn plants. I just wanted to bring light to the ramifications and sort of the consequences of prolonging the morning process and not acknowledging those feelings. And for children and parents who just don't have the language to talk about it, that is sort of a symptom of doing that. And I'm hoping that this book can bring light to that. Yeah. And I'm curious, with such a heavy topic too, was there any part in the process that maybe felt like it was too much or that it was like, do, is this worth it? Do I keep going? Yeah. Um, I think two parts in particular, and I can like, it's much easier to show. I think the first is when Pops actually passes away, I wanted to figure out how to talk about how to make it clear to children and the reader that Pops passed away without saying he died. Yeah. because I didn't want parents to feel like they had to sign up for an unnecessary, com for a conversation that they weren't equipped with in that moment. And I also did, I wanted to stay away from any, even if it was just a minute percentage of this being trauma porn, this is not what I wanted this to be. I did mm -hmm. not want to put a book out into the world that sort of stagnated on this idea that this black man died and now everything's gone amok. I wanted to speak to a real experience for many people, but that not be the central focus of the book. And so I really struggled with doing that. And I think the other piece was illustrating Malcolm's emotions after that happens. And so the pages after where he's experiencing this deep sadness um, and it feels like he's underwater, I wanted to put a face to depression without saying the word depression and without saying I didn't want to tell anyone how to feel or tell Malcolm how he should feel after his father died. I wanted to describe it. And I realized the safest thing that I could do in this book was describe and illustrate something alongside the illustrator, Aliana Harris, as opposed to just saying his dad died. He felt sad. I, I think that would have done a disservice to the reader. 
Yeah. And I think that in our being sure education, just keep throwing them out there. Um, yeah. We learned a lot about like letting the children share how they're feeling, let them express what they're noticing in the illustrations. And I think that those illustrations clearly show that he, Malcolm is feeling something. And that's when you can turn to the child and say like, I wonder what you're noticing about this, this image. What do you notice that Malcolm is going through or feeling? And that contrast of the one page where Pops is still there is like bright. It's beautiful. The plants look great. Everything is just like life. And then you have that contrast of like, oh, okay, something happened. And as you're saying, like, you don't want to necessarily throw too much at the child or the reader or the parent where it like takes away from the rest of the story of working through the emotions. Yeah, exactly. That's for the reader to do. I can't remember the author's name who said this. I'm butchering it. I'm going to look it up so you can give them credit. But it is something along the lines of, I, as a writer, have no right to tell the reader what they should get from my story. And the reader has no right to tell me how I should write. And it's a beautiful thing when the reader gets what I'm trying to say, but there's no law that they must. And since reading and understanding that, the way that people choose to interpret this book, whether they like it or dislike it, or they love it, or, oh my God, you're talking about loss with kids. This is horrendous. Like it just sort of puts this calming blanket over me of this is the story that I wanted to tell. And it will fall into the hands of the people that need to have this in their library. I think yep. it's important. That was perfectly said. I th- and, and, and need any book really, I mean, we could read the same book for adults and interpret it differently anyway. And the yeah. beautiful part of books is there is no one way to read a book and one way to understand it. And especially for these children, you might have a super sensitive child and a non-sensitive child, and they might interpret it differently, but potentially yeah. get the exact same thing out of it anyway. And yeah. it's, I don't think that enough schools have books on grief and loss maybe not even in their library, but just in the school to hold on to. If you know that there's something happening in a child's life, like that's the book that goes on the shelf so that you're ready if it's needed. And even before, you know, someone in a family passes away, it's still an important read so that when something happens, these children are prepared to go on this roller coaster of emotions and kind of have Mm -hmm. that those tools already in their belt as to okay, this big thing is happening. What now? Totally. And I knew that if I was going to write a book, I was going to be making a necessary read. I wanted to, like, I feel like my work is very similar to Jacqueline Woodson in that she creates these stories that are necessary staples in the classroom because they almost allow kids access for the, or as teachers are anticipating that kids might experience these emotions at some point. We're just sort of equipping them, like equipping their tool belt for things that could happen in their lives. And I think Jacqueline Woodson does a great job of doing that. And so I was really inspired by, if I'm going to put a book out into the world, I think similar to like movies and TV shows, right? Like we watch our crime things because they allow us to turn our brain off. We watch our documentaries to be informed, sometimes entertained. We watch rom-coms. But I knew that I wanted to be in the business of writing books that supported kids for the potential journey that they were about to go on. Um, and I guess speaking more generally, that's just life, right? Yeah. Um, and in defense of those schools, like you make a really good point. There aren't too many 
of these books in classrooms. And the honest answer is I couldn't find any, a lot of, they don't exist. And I knew that I had to make one. And I think that even the ones that do exist don't necessarily have the, the background that we do in, okay, I want to tell a story. I don't want to put in too much information, but I want it to be necessary and informative and descriptive in a way that these people get something out of it without me telling them how to feel directly. And we don't have a lot of those, not just about grief and loss, but about a lot of certain subjects. Like it's just not touched on. And you're not the only author that I've had on that, you know, writes a book about a topic that we don't have enough books of. And it's just like so important. (laughs) That's it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably the big piece of the business mind in me. I'm like, okay, look for the gap in the market, fulfill it. Like that feels very like check the boxes. But when it comes to creating this thing in particular, I think it's no different from, oh, people need help with their house plans. I see a gap in the market. Let me fill it. But to tell this story just required me to go a lot deeper. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious about switching it a little bit for those that are still attending Bank Street or want to attend Bank Street or are in Bank Street, whatever, and they're getting up to this imp. And I believe no matter what major you're, whatever master's you're in, you have the opportunity to write a book if you so choose. And so for me, I did because I didn't want to write another paper. I didn't want to write a curriculum. And I was like, well, whatever, I'll write a children's book. And I Uh kind of took the same route that you did where I was like, if I'm writing a book, it's got to be meaningful. It's got to be impactful. And I don't want to just waste all this education that I have and write like something ridiculous and not worth it. So for those that go through that, how, what advice do you have for them to like, not just throw that book that they just worked so hard on in their closet for years and years and years? (laughs) Cause I just moved to Philly and I'm telling you right now, it is one in one of my boxes because I haven't gotten rid of it. And I'm not saying I'm publishing it or anything. But for those that do have something that they believe really should be and something's holding them back, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like I owe like the audience some context here because um, in short, while I was on the plant doctor journey, I, after getting tons of press, I heard from Penguin House Publishers. They wrote to me and asked if I'd be interested in writing a book about houseplants and how people can care for them. And I said, of course, I was like elated. This is an amazing opportunity. How'd you get this email? Like, I couldn't believe it. Um, And while I was honored, at the same time, I said, I feel like there's an oversaturation of like how to care for plant books in the market. It was the pandemic. We were all at home. I just was like, I don't have anything else to say. That's just not a shrine to myself and the plant doctor. Like that, I... I think no shade to anyone who has done that at all. I just, I think if I'm going to put my name on something as an author and as someone who studied literacy, I need to put some words into the world that are not just this self-aggrandizing thing and like cure perfect plants. And so I just proposed, I just shot my shot and was like, hey, I'm working on this project at Bank Street. It's a kid's book. It's about plants, but it's also not. And I said, it'll be done in a couple months. Can I circle back? And they said, sure, go for it. Months later, I was like, okay, I'm just going to circle back. Hopefully the person still even works there. Again, it's COVID. And I sent it in. 
And their first response was, oh my God, they give me like all the compliments and the criticism and the construction and all that. And they said, I think we were looking for something a bit more commercial or lighthearted. I don't think they were expecting it to be about loss. Um, And my response to that was, I think this is such a critical time for a story like this. This was during the height of Black Lives Matter, so June of 2020. And I said, I cannot think of a more important time to publish a story about a boy who is experiencing the loss of someone in his family, specifically a Black boy, when we're seeing so much Black death on a commercial basis, on like an every day in the news basis. And so after the back and forth, they were like, oh my God, yes, as a publisher, we have a responsibility to do this. And like, we just had this come to Jesus moment, which was really beautiful. Um, And they allowed me to produce this story. And so I preface with that because I don't want anyone who's listening to think, just go out and publish the story. Because I don't know what that shopping around for a publisher process is like. I'm grateful (laughs) to have this opportunity. But equally, I would say, if you feel passionately about your story, um, with all the authors that I've met along this journey, I would say, just like keep working on it and revisit it. Like, I'm sure you heard all the stories at Bank Street where like, I don't know, like, Dr. Seuss went back to his story 50,000 times and it didn't even blow up until after he passed. Just like, I think when you approach a project or a story with the intention of getting published, I think you're less likely to put your heart and soul into it because you're thinking about the reader. And I had the privilege of working on this book for Bank Street, which was a very safe home and community, and then got this opportunity. And so I put my heart and soul into it. I think this would be a very different book if I went into it with the intention of getting published. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to to think about it. And I mean, I I graduated, I don't even know at this point, years ago, but <laughs> I have it still. And every year or so, I pick it up and I read it. And I'm like, oh, I would tweak this now and I would tweak that. And then I put it, I write notes and I put it away. And the great thing is, it's mine. I don't have to pursue publishing it now. Like if you have something that you wrote, You can hold on to it for years and years because if you do publish it, it's still going to have the same meaningful impact. So it doesn't need to be a go for it right now. If you believe in something, work on it, put your best foot forward. And as you're saying, like, take a leap of faith, right? Like you didn't have to reach back out to Penguin, like of all (laughs) publishers to, you know, I don't know what like confidence Kool-Aid I had that day. I was like, I think I'm going to that the like the pandemic sort of gave us this like you only live once like let me just go for it and try it I'm not doing anything else so and it's true we only have one life to live and you've got to put your best foot forward and just believe in yourself even if that seems like crazy and impossible I mean look at look at all that you've accomplished already I mean it's incredible is there anything else coming up on your plate that people should know about or I've been getting the subtle I the subtle question from people of where's book number 2 and I'm like it has literally been 45 days what if we celebrate this one and get it into the world um so in terms of like next projects I have no idea which feels so good because I didn't set out to be on this journey to begin with. I never had a point where I was like, I'm going to write a book and get it published. This just feels like I'm getting, I guess the best way to describe it is like, I'm so grateful for whatever lands on my plate, but now it's enabling this option 
or this platter of options and choice. And it feels really nice to be able to have that. Um, and so one of the things that I'm choosing is to go on a book tour, but a non-traditional book tour. Um, and what that looks like is going to schools. I want to go to classrooms and do as many story times as I possibly can, as many author visits as I possibly can. And so for all the listeners, if you're a public, private charter, any school, specifically in New York City, we're going to hop around the U.S., but we're starting in New York. My goal is to visit as many schools as I can in 365 days. I'm obsessed with that. Um, <laughs> I I know a lot of schools in Queens. I know schools in Manhattan. So I am definitely okay. on board for that. And that's also why I posed the question the way I did, because it's I feel like it's very similar to when people give birth and people say, when's the next kid? That's not the yeah. next project. The next project no. is whatever is on your plate that you want to share. And a book tour sounds amazing. And I think that that's also a great way for schools and, and teachers to let someone else come in and read the story. And that way you get to feel out the way children are taking this book, interpreting it, and you get to field some of those questions. And maybe that also takes a little bit of the stress off of the schools because it is a heavy topic that people still aren't talking about in schools. But totally. I think that that's so cool. Definitely going to share that with people because it, yeah. it's a book that should be heard by people. So that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And it, like it all goes back to our original goal, like what we first started talking about. And it's that we didn't see these books in classrooms, right? And so I don't, there's no departure from that goal. Like the book is, it exists and it's out in the world and they're all over my living room. But like, what's the use in going around to every bookstore, the McNally Jacksons and like all of these bookstores that might not be accessible to the kids that really need to hear this story. And so I think that's where I come in. It's going to be very exhausting work to go from place to place, but I think this book does no good if it's not in the places that are accessible to everyone at a reasonable price. And I would love for those kids who are the rock stars to be able to hear the book in my voice. I think that would be pretty cool. And I also really want to know what they think of it. There's been nothing more fun than reading this book to groups of kids. And that when we get to the page where it's like something happens and like Pops passes away and they're like, oh, did he die? And like the conversations are being had on the rug. I'm like, oh my God, the book is doing what I thought it would do. They're having the conversation. And so I just want more of those moments. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And and even if there is never a second book, that doesn't matter, right? Like you created something so beautiful and powerful. There doesn't have to be, like it's up to you to decide what happens next. And I think that that's also in relation to the book also, like, okay, this is what happens in life. What are you going to do next? What big things are you going to do in life? And how are we going to move forward? And I'm really excited. I don't have it yet, but I'm definitely, I always like to get one of the books that my guests have, because I just think that that's a really cool way for me to support you guys and, and for me to keep them because they're just so amazing. Um, so Mariah, thank you so much for taking time of your day. And coming on. This was a blast. Um, once I'm settled, I'll be hitting you up about plant health because I will need it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you have any um anything you want to send me to send to teachers I know to see if we can get you in their schools, please do because totally. that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I will when we hop off, I'll definitely send it to you. Um 
Thank you for having me. This has been such a fun conversation, especially like I haven't gotten to like connect with Bank Street folks as much as I wanted to because I've been in this like author bubble where I have to shield myself from too many socializations. But it's so fun to like just recognize where all these pieces came from and how they grew good things. So I really, really appreciate it. And see, now you can go on LinkedIn, go to their Bank Street alumni group and find more people. Yeah, honestly, I need to like actually carve out a day to maximize LinkedIn because there's so many opportunities on there and you help me to realize, oh, I need to be checking this daily. Yeah, yeah. Because because sometimes the best way to reach somebody is through one of those off sites and not Instagram, which I mean, you have like a gazillion followers on Instagram. So yeah. probably messaging you on Instagram would never work. <laughs> but I won't see it. Assume that I won't see it. If I see it, it's because I'm in bed that day, just eating ice cream out of a can and I'm doing nothing. So it is very rare, but LinkedIn and email are the ways to go. Awesome. Well, Mariah, (laughs) thank you so much. I'm so excited for you. I think that this is so impactful and meaningful and I just can't see, can't wait to see what happens with this book. And I hope that I can join one of the read alouds one day because that would be really cool for me. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have you there. Thank you, Andy. This has been so good. No problem. Well, have a great day and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.